So, you look at our visual for this series, and I get pulled into that picture really quickly. I don't know about you. When you consider Jesus saying that he will return at any time, and, and some of the other scriptures that talk about what it will look like when the sky opens up, and, and to see Jesus coming back in glory with the angels and the sound of the trumpet, and, and what a day that would be. I mean, I, I just think, how cool would it be to be in an open field and just see it all unfold and happen? And have a front row seat, as it were. And that's a pretty nice seat to have, to be sitting in on that day. You long for that day? As you face the struggles, the challenges, the difficulties of this world, as you turn and see the, the news reports and, and what terrible things are happening on any given day, do you long for the coming of Jesus? Are you ready? And are you willing? In the meantime, to make the most of every opportunity we have as God's people, knowing time here is short compared to what is ahead. Oh, to have that front row seat. But what do you do with it? I want to show you another famous seat. Anybody recognize this chair? I've talked about it before. It's one of my favorite examples of what to do when it comes to what life is all about. Oh, I love this. Um, this, this chair uh, is a lawn chair. It's an old one, back from the, the 70s and 80s, and, and it was in the backyard of a guy by the name of Larry Waters. And if you've heard me share this, it's one of those stories that I just gotta keep sharing every once in a while because it's just so amazing, because it's true and it really happened. Larry Waters, truck driver, lived in Los Angeles, was bored, and had an idea one day. He, he was sitting in his backyard and he thought, I know what I'll do. And he goes shopping and he comes back some hours later and starts to tie ropes and cords to his backyard lawn chair. He ties up all these milk cartons with, filled with water. And, and to the end of the cords attached to the chair, he started to attach large weather balloons that he bought from an army uh, salvage store with helium that he rented a several helium tanks and he had 40 of these weather balloons. He, he had them all blown up uh, and hovering above his backyard, above his chair that he had staked down. And when the time was finally right, he grabbed some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches from the kitchen and a little bit of root beer and his pellet gun and he tied himself into the chair and said to his girlfriend, all right, cut me loose. And uh, here he is on his way up. Now, here's the thing. Larry had this plan. Um, raise your hand if you have heard about this before. Um, I'm, not everybody has, so this is really a huge deal. This happened in 1987, I believe was the year. Um, Larry had hoped he would go up and hover about 100 feet above his backyard just to get a different perspective. Uh, and his plan was, is his pellet gun would be used, if he, if he was going too high, he'd use the pellet gun to control his height by popping some of the balloons, let some the helium out. Um, the ballast in his chair was, if, if he wasn't going up fast enough, he'd let off some of the, the, the milk cartons filled with water uh, to go higher. That was his plan. Kind of brilliant, you might say. Well, um, the thing was, is Larry took off and started to float, as you see here. Uh, but he didn't go up 100 feet. He went up with such fast velocity to 10,000 feet that he was hanging on for dear life. This really happened, folks. And, and hanging on for dear life at 10,000 feet, the pellet gun was useless because he couldn't let go. He was so afraid. Now, I take you back to the fact this happened in the Los Angeles area, uh, which is also home at one of the busiest airports in the nation called LAX. 
It was about that time at 10,000 feet, uh, a DC-10 that was circulating, circulating the airport for landing calls down to the control tower. You're never going to believe this. There's a guy up here in a lawn chair. I mean, can you imagine being on vacation that day with your family, looking out the window like, look, mom, look at the guy in the chair, right? I mean, imagine this. Um, the guy was floating up there for three hours as they tried to figure out how to help him, and he tried to figure out how to get himself down. Now, in those three hours, they had to shut down LAX. That's a pretty big deal, and you can imagine uh, they were ready to uh, tell him what offenses he had broken this whole thing. But by the time he crash lands in a neighborhood after floating out over the bay for a while and then coming back in, he finally crash landed in somebody's backyard. And the reporters were all waiting to talk to him as, as uh, he was safe, safely on the ground again, and people wanted to know his story. And, and as he steps up to the news reporters, and the question is asked, Larry Waters, Mr. Waters, why did you do this? And here's what he said. He said, because you can't just sit there, folks. What a story, and what a line. Because you can't just sit there. You know, I have a feeling this also inspired another famous adventurer in more recent days. I'll show you that one. There he is. The movie Up. You can't just sit there. And if you've seen that movie, that's kind of the message there too. What is our life really all about? Is our life in our calling just to kind of wait around and sit around and wait for our time to come? Is that what God has placed us here to do? To know the love of Jesus, to know that he has redeemed us and set us free and given us the gift of eternity? Has he called us then to just sit there with it? Or has God planned something even more than just pass our days sitting around watching time and waiting? Is there a plan and a calling for us today? And with that in mind, we open God's Word. Now today's reading, as we continue our series, Ready, Willing, and Able, and we focus on what it means to be willing, we turn to that second parable in chapter 25 of Matthew's Gospel. Um, last week, uh, the message Jesus gave those who were listening was, you know, be ready when you consider that Jesus could come back, his return is imminent, and it could happen at any time, and to be ready. What does it mean to be willing? As we turn to Matthew 25, and I encourage you, if you want to open the scripture um, to read it there, we're not going to read the whole thing, but Jesus has just shared another parable, and in this case, it's one about three servants of a master, and these three servants, as we just heard, were all entrusted with a gift from their master. And it's, it's the parable of the talents. And one of the risks we run in reading this is it might be very familiar to a lot of you. It's, it's preached about, it's, it's talked about, it's read a lot. You know, it's one of those parables we can just assume we know everything about it and, and pass it off. But I'll tell you one of the insights that I gleaned this week that I, I'll be honest, I, I just never really put this in context. I've always thought of the parable of the talents as just kind of being in, in the midst of life and God saying, well, now just... Manage what's been entrusted to you. But I'd never thought of it or realized the context that really God is telling us this story in the midst of his eminent return. The time really does matter. That it's not just going through the motions of life, but that time is of the essence. How are we going to utilize the giftedness that God has blessed us with? 
There's just kind of this, this contrast as Jesus tells it that, that he's just talked about. He could come back at any time. And meanwhile, he tells this story of what do you do? What's our calling? Now, it's an interesting study as well in terms of how to contrast these three servants that each are entrusted. Uh, one's entrusted with, with five talents, or as the new NIV brings out, five bags of gold. And there's things I like about the new NIV that put it into a language that's understandable. In this case, I think we lose something by taking away the word talent and saying bags of gold. Because yes, it's a, it, it was a money term, and that is more accurate to what the text really meant. But for us, often that word talent means so much more. And certainly when Jesus tells it, it's not just about money. It's about realizing the the, the gift of God and how he has entrusted us with all that we are. Uh, and often as we think of that, that our time, our, our talents, our treasure uh, are all on loan from Almighty God. It, it all belongs to him. And, and we forget that. We get caught up in thinking it's all about us. And the focus is like, how do I serve myself? How do I get ahead? How do I stay happy? What do I gain? And, and we miss out on the bigger perspective. That ultimately, all of it, everything, even our pulse, belongs to God. Now, Jesus says, this master who says, I'm going to come back, he gives them on loan three different gifts. To one, he gives five talents. To another, he gives two talents. And to the third servant, he gives one talent. And I've often thought it said and thought that, you know, maybe what's going on here is, you know, what if you're the one who gets the one talent? I mean... Would you be upset about this? And I've heard a thought, you know what? We should maybe feel sorry for him because poor guy, all he got was one talent. The other one's got two or five. I mean, poor guy. But, you know, as you look at this and, and you dive into it a little deeper, okay, so a talent back in those days uh, was equivalent to 6,000 denarius. 6,000 denarius. And this is if we're, there's several different kinds of talents, and I'll get into this. This might open up your perspective of what this servant received. 6,000 denarius. A denarius was equal to a day's pay back in those days. So if you compute that in your mind, okay, a day's wages, now multiply that times 6,000, that would have been what is known as a silver talent back in those days. Or in other words, about 16 years worth of wages would be the equivalent of one talent that was put on loan by the master. Um, That's if Jesus is talking about a talent that's known as a silver talent. It's also possible what he was also talking about would have been a gold talent. And if it was a gold talent, it's worth even more than that. In fact, 30 times as much as a silver talent. So in other words, that, that servant who gets one talent, he would have received like 493 years worth of wages, if that's the case. Now, still, that doesn't quite compute for us, maybe, because you're thinking, all right, what would that look like? Well, let's just say, for instance, if if you had an income of $50,000 a year, let's just put that in modern context. If you made $50,000 a year, here's what it would equate to. Um, One gold talent, I'm sorry, one silver talent would equate to $822,000. Not too shabby, huh? I mean, imagine... Your your master says, here, here, I'm going to give you a gift of $822,000. Would you say, are you kidding me? That's all I get? It probably wouldn't be your perspective. And if it's a gold talent, we're talking about $25 million would have been invested or put on loan on that one servant. 
And I share all that to say this servant who gets one talent was overwhelmingly blessed. Don't write it off and say, poor guy, he didn't get much. He has every right to be bitter to God or not to do anything with it because he's mad. Are you kidding me? To get close to a million dollars or $25 million, he has been given this incredible gift that he didn't earn or deserve or work for. Rather, it was just entrusted to him. And finally, that day comes back, and we see the contrast of the three servants. The one with five comes to the master and says, here you go, master. Uh, Here's your five talents, but I've also gained five more because he's used it to extend the master's kingdom. The second one who got the two talents comes forward. Here you go, master. Here are the two talents, plus I've gained two more to extend your kingdom. And the master to both of them says, well done, good and faithful servant. There's something going on with those two that's not going on with the third. There's there's no sense of drudgery. There's no sense of bitterness. There's there's just a sense of joy in the midst of it. Like, look what I've done for you, Lord. I I did this for you. And and you know what? It's not about me. It's, Lord, you blessed me. And then you get to the third servant. And his response, and this is where we get into it, is verse 23. After he says, the Lord Master says, well done, good and faithful servant, to the one with two. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then with 20, verse 24, then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Um, really? Can you imagine going before somebody who entrusted you with $25 million and looking at them and saying, I knew that you are a very hard man and not very generous, that you never, you just scatter, you expect things when you give nothing. And actually, literally, when he says he's a hard man, he's saying you're a withered, dried out stick that if it's, it doesn't bend anymore, it'll just break. Like, are you kidding me? Who would talk that way? to someone who has been so generous. This servant is ungrateful. He is selfish. He doesn't get it. And what has he done with the talent? He buried it. Are you kidding me? He buries it, ignores it, doesn't utilize it, doesn't celebrate it. He just, he gets bitter and gets angry and lives for himself. Well, some would say, well, at least he didn't squander it and go away like the, the prodigal son story. He just goes and gets rid of it. No, so maybe he's not so bad. Are you kidding me? What Jesus is saying here is to do nothing is just as bad as to squander it. He has sinned against his master. What's behind all of that? Clearly, there's a difference in understanding in uh, these servants. The two that celebrate it and utilize the gift, they get the understanding. They understand the heart of the giver, and they do so with joy. The one who buries it has a completely wrong understanding of who the master is. And I got a hunch that at the heart of it is this very next piece of this verse. Verse 25. Read it with me if you have it in front of you. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground see here's what belongs to you actually that's correct it does belong to the master he has that at least right but he says I was afraid 
because his concept of the master was provoking fear and bitterness and selfishness. He'd separated himself from the gift of the master. He didn't think there was anything good in that. And fear overwhelmed him. Um, literally, the word here in Greek is phobia. Or phobia. And, and, and it's the word we get, phobia. He had a phobia of God. And you think of all the ways that fear can just seize our mentalities and our ways of operation in life. We're, we're, we're afraid to speak out about God or we're afraid to uh, give more because we're like, well, I don't have enough. Or we're afraid to step forward with our talents and our abilities because we're like, what if I fail? Or, or what if I don't have enough time and, and fear grips us. And the master comes and says, I think you got the wrong idea about me. Some years ago, Max Lucado, I think, put this in a great perspective. He told a, a, true, a true story about a woman, and, and, and this always helped me to understand what's going on here. A, a woman who was in a, a horrendously bad marriage. And, and what was going on is she had married a man and, and who turned out not to be who she thought he was. He was abusive verbally, uh, abusive physically, and... And, and very demanding in her life. And, and what he would do is he'd go off to work. He'd refuse her to leave the house. She would be left with these lists of things that she would need to finish by day's end when he returned. And he'd never let her know when he was coming back from work. He would just expect the list to be done. He would expect dinner to be on the table and hot, no matter if he was three hours late or one hour late or right on time. He expected her and demanded of her that she would do the things that he demanded she do. Horrendously terrible and abusive marriage, to say the least. She feared for her life. And yet she did the things that he demanded out of fear, ongoing fear. She was fearful. And if she didn't do it or get it done, she would be verbally abused or physically abused. Horrendous marriage. Praise be to God, true story, this man died of a sudden heart attack. And she was finally free of that fear in her life. Time went on, and, and she got a, a job and, and worked outside the home and tried to make a living. And, 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 but she always said to herself, I will never, ever, ever have a relationship with a man again, ever, because uh, she couldn't trust anyone. She felt that would be a crazy idea to ever be married or much less have any relationship. But here's the thing. Over time, as the years went by, and in her workplace, every once in a while, these notes would show up on her desk. Uh, you look really nice today. Or, or a rose would show up and, and, and say, you're beautiful. Um, and, and she had this secret admirer in the office. But every time she'd get one of these, she'd crumple it up, throw it away, or uh, dump out the rose into the trash can. She's like, I am not going to fall for this junk, right? And, but the persistence of the admirer continued. One day she was out to lunch with some colleagues. They were meeting over a project, and as they were heading back to the car, um, one of the, the gentlemen that she'd worked with regularly um, just pulled her aside and, and had opened her door and just said, I, I feel I need to tell you, I'm, I'm the admirer. And, and she stepped back. She's like, you are? And, and he said, yeah. And he said, would you be willing to go out to dinner with me on Friday? And, and before she could say no, she said yes. And, and she, all the way back to the office, she's like, what was I thinking? How could I say yes? But it seemed so right. Something was different. 
Now to fast forward in the relationship, this man really was giving and loving and selfless in his servanthood toward this woman. And it was very different for her. And he finally proposed to her and she said yes before she could say no because something was different. And this held up to be true because when they were married and in their relationship, things were very different. She lived with joy. She lived knowing she was loved. She knew that she was being nurtured and and appreciated and cared for. This man uh, lifted her up every day. Well, one day she was homesick, and some years later was uh, going into the closet in, in their house together, and, and there was a shoebox she had of some, of some medication. She was going through looking for some cold medicine, and, and there was a piece of paper lodged in one of the shoeboxes, and she pulled it out. She opened it up, and she started to fearfully shake because what she had found was one of the lists left over from her first husband. And as fear gripped her, she's going through all of these demands that she brought her right back to those days of of just terrible life and and fear. What gripped her next was laughter and joy. Because as she read through the list, she realized these were things she now did every single day in her new marriage. But she didn't think about it. She didn't do it because she had to. She did so because she got to. Because she was loved. And she knew she was safe. And the motivation to be so bold in her love for her spouse was love that was continually poured out. Does that make sense? You know, what God tells us through his word is he calls us to be ready. And he calls us and reminds us that we have been given a trust, an incredible gift of not only redemption and love and forgiveness and grace that is well and paid for in full. But he's also given us our life. He's given us our talents. He's given us our abilities. He's entrusted us with our finances. And he says, because I've loved you, respond in love. Respond by utilizing that to to the glory of God in all that you are. You know, maybe you come today and and you've been sitting there for far too long. And our God is reminding you, you can't just sit there when it comes to the amazing promises, the amazing love, that our God has given us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we await your your return that you would ignite in us a willingness to utilize all the gifts, all the talents, all of the abilities that we've been entrusted and to not just sit on it, to not just while away our, our days and our hours waiting for your return but rather, Lord, to utilize it, to invest it in your kingdom. Lord, call our hearts and lead us where that is what is according to your will. Lord, we pray that you'd bless your people here. We we pray, Lord, in in a world in which we are surrounded by so many ways that we can just be overwhelmed or or, or respond in in fear. Lord, that's not your character. You call us to respond out of love. And may we do so with joy. We pray this more and more as your people with willing hearts, in Jesus' name, amen.